Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hi, this is Nikki of the Kitchen Sisters. We want to tell you about a new weekly from PRX called Monumental. Did you know there are 22 monuments depicting mermaids, but only two depicting U.S. Congresswomen? The landscape of public memory is changing, but is the day-to-day changing with it? Monumental will uncover the stories that our monuments are telling about what and who is important, as well as the stories that have been left out. Join host Ashley C. Ford and our team of 12 journalists across the country as they confront the reality of what we publicly commemorate, exploring big questions about the past, present, and future of monuments. Listen on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The bust. What I got arrested for in San Francisco. (laughs) San Francisco, I got arrested for... uh, We can hear that, Daddy. Um... I'm not going to repeat the word because I want to finish the gig here tonight. It's, uh, uh, they said it was it's vernacular for a favorite homosexual practice, a ten-letter word. Uh, it's really chic. That's two full-letter words in a preposition. In the 1950s and early 60s, it was the pioneering, much-maligned comedian Lenny Bruce who crossed every line in his fight for freedom of speech and the Constitution. I can't, uh, I wish I could tell you the word. It starts with a C. When you know what the word is. Now, it's weird how they manifested that word as homosexual. Today, our series, The Keepers, continues. Keepers, guardians of history, protectors of the free flow of information and ideas. The Kitchen Sisters present this story of an archive newly born, the Lenny Bruce Collection. This is the Lenny Bruce Collection, box one and box two. Photographs. Oh, there he is. He was so handsome. This epitome of cool and slicked back hair, cigarettes just kind of hanging out of his mouth. This is Lenny Bruce standing on his head with his little girl, Kitty. <laughs> 1957. My name is Kitty Bruce. The archives. I had schlepped them around for, oh God, over 40 years. There's audio tapes. The Ecumenical Council has given the Pope permission to become a nun. <laughs> Photographs. Court transcripts, letters that my dad had sent. June 26, 1960. Dear Father, why? What happened to Lenny Penny that you took for a ride in the plane in the early 30s? What happened to our wonderful world of secret words, the Zorgs, the Oryx? Where are my encyclopedias? Why couldn't we relate? I used to copy the archive in triplicate. I'd have information in my cousin's attic in Michigan, another one in L.A. If it burns down here, at least we have a plan B. My name is Steve Krayev. 
I was the first to write a PhD devoted to Lenny Bruce. He was much more than a comedian. He was the first to speak on stage about sex, religion, drugs, racism, freedom of speech. Lenny Bruce's archives were kept in Kitty's house. I went to meet her. Steve said, what are you going to do with these? I said, I don't know. I need to do something to preserve them. Box 12, how to talk dirty and influence people. This is a draft. This book is hilarious. I phoned Sarah Shoemaker from Brandeis. I'm Sarah Shoemaker, librarian for archives and special collections here at Brandeis. Out of nowhere, Sarah Shoemaker calls. To raise the question of whether Brandeis might be the right home for her father's papers. My name is Stephen Whitfield. I teach American studies at Brandeis University. Lenny Bruce is an inescapable figure in the evolution of American humor. He pushed the envelope of free speech. Much of Bruce's comedy had an emphasis on his own Jewishness and his own way of seeing social issues. Ray Charles is very Jewish. Al Jolson, Goyish. The Army is Goyish. The Navy is Goyish. The Air Force is Jewish. Brandeis is a Jewish-sponsored institution. The archives contain the personal papers of Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis, Jewish resistance during the Holocaust, the Sacco and Vanzetti trial, radical pamphlets, extremist pamphlets, propaganda pamphlets, the papers of Sophie Tucker. Then started Leah Rostin, The Letting Go. Joseph Heller. Kitty, we're going to start cataloging. I said, you know what? It's summertime. All that stuff is up in the attic. How about we wait a couple months? This went on for a year and a half. Finally, they took all of it in one swoop, 10 linear feet, and brought it to Brandeis. This is Honey Bruce Pregnant. Man, she was gorgeous. They're at the beach. She's on a ledge. He's standing below her, drying off her feet. He met his wife, Honey Harlow, who was a stripper at the time, and he calls her the Sheik's goddess. They fell in love quite quickly. They did some shows together. This is them performing together. Lenny is sitting on a leather ottoman, and Honey Bruce has a vacuum cleaner wearing a low-cut silk dress. And this is on a ski trip in 1954. He's skiing, falling down skiing. Who knew Lenny Bruce skied? Hugh Hefner gave a lot of money to acquire Lenny Bruce's archives for Brandeis. When you think about Playboy magazine, you think about naked chicks. But Playboy was on the forefront of the battle for freedom of speech. Hello there. Glad you could join us this evening. I'm Hugh Hefner, editor-publisher of Playboy magazine, and your host. And this is Playboy's penthouse. Come on in and meet some of our guests. My name is Christy Hefner. I was chairman and CEO of Playboy Enterprises for 20 years. Hef and Lenny just kind of connected as fellow rebels who understood how the culture and entertainment could be forces for profound social change. Hef first met Lenny in 1958. There was starting to be a buzz about him. Hef and some of his friends went out to San Francisco to see him. And it was early in the time when Lenny was pivoting away from the more traditional slapstick joke-telling that he had done early in his career to make a living, frequently at strip clubs, 
to more of the kind of stream of consciousness social commentary that he would become renowned for. But you might be interested in how I became offensive. <laughs> uh, like, started in school with um, uh, drinking and... Uh, I was, really, I was like a real depressed kid, you know, seven, eight years old, and I'd really get juiced and get out of my head. And uh, so the teacher would really get bugged, you know, with, with me singing and carrying on and, and calling Columbus a fink and, uh, and, and boosting Aaron. Hef booked Lenny in one of the early episodes of Playboy After Dark, which was a nationally syndicated show. You work areas of humor that are controversial and according to some people pretty sick um do you consider yourself a sick comic no sick let's take the word you know semantics yeah. there's no such thing naturally as sick comedy sick jokes go as far back as shakespeare lenny stayed at my dad's house at the playboy mansion most of the time that he came through chicago and when he wrote his autobiography how to talk dirty and influence people it was first excerpted in Playboy magazine, and then Playboy was the publisher of the autobiography. He was in the great tradition of Jewish stand-up comedians, going back to um, the Borscht Circuit and the Catskills during the summer. He was a radical Jewish intellectual. Then Lawrence Ferlinghetti co-founded City Lights Bookstore. Lenny Bruce used to come to City Lights Bookstore in uh, North Beach. He lived in the neighborhood. He would quite often pick up the daily papers, which he would then roll up under his arm and take to his performance. He would do his rap based on what was in the daily news. Most people were offended by it, I think. My name is Martin Garvis. I'm a trial lawyer. Lenny Bruce spoke out about things that he thought were relevant. When I first heard him in the village downtown, he would get 25 people, 30 people. Then he was prosecuted in San Francisco. And given the nature of what he was saying and of the way the government was trying to put him into jail, it became a cause celebre. As a result of that, he became far better known and was soon playing audiences of 250 people, 750 people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here is a very shocking comedian, the most shocking comedian of our time, a young man who is skyrocketing to fame, Lenny Bruce. Here he is. Will Elizabeth Taylor become bar mitzvahed? <laughs> What's it like doing a show like Steve Allen's or any of the big network shows? You know, they're naturally afraid of the way I work, you know, and it's a live show, it's not taped. So they had me audition, which is very hard for me. I do pretty spontaneous humor, and to do word-for-word -word comedy is just horrendous. So I did a joke, and Steve is cracking up. He's laughing. But the producer, he's laughing, but he's got a little more to lose. Like, ha, ha, I made reference that I have a tattoo, you know, which I actually have. Then I went into a truism, and I said, because of this tattoo, uh, I never can be buried in a Jewish cemetery. That's the truth. That's the orthodox scene. You have to go out of the world the way you came in, with no marks or no changes. I was over my aunt's house, and she's very orthodox. So she flips, you know, she goes, ah! Ah! You know, so, 
a real <laughs> Jewish minor bird. So he said, you're on your arm. You can't be back in the Jewish cemetery. I said, what do you nudge me for? Me, me, they'll cut the sword, they bury this in a Gentile cemetery. You know? <laughs> and uh, continuity says to me, yeah. You can't do that. So why not? He said, well, it's definitely offensive to the Jewish people. I said, Shady, you're a nut. He said, any time we do any humor on any ethnic groups, you know, uh, there's a lot of mail. Now, let me first set that straight. I think that anybody who writes in to anybody are wax. Nuts. Any of you people out of your... We'll be right back. The Kitchen Sisters Present is supported by Quip, a handsome, affordable electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. What I really like is how it looks, how it declutters my bathroom counter, and how it reminds me when to switch sides and how long to brush my teeth. It also travels well. It doesn't have a clunky charger, and you can easily unstick the case that mounts to your mirror and use it as a cover. And the colors are good. Silver metal, copper metal, slate. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash kitchensisters right now, you get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash kitchensisters. Now, Lenny was very serious and was always a thinking, he was always thinking... He was a loner. I never could get him interested in sports. I was completely an extrovert. Lenny was completely an introvert. Sally Marr, Lenny Bruce's mother, was a comedian, one of the first female stand-ups. One of Lenny Bruce's first comedy bits was as part of a routine that she was doing. All these years, I didn't realize it until I sat back and listened to Lenny on stage, and I went back 20, 30 years when I used to talk to him when he was a little boy, and all the things that he was saying were the things that he was living with me, that he was absorbing, that he believed in. Two's preposition, two's preposition, come as a bird. My name is Sorella Selig, University Archives and Special Collections Outreach Librarian. His stand-up routines were often off the cuff. Two is a preposition, come as a verb. Two is a preposition, come as a verb, the verb intransitive. To come. He was a big fan of jazz music. His style really imitated freeform jazz. To come. It's been like a big drum solo. Did you come? Did you come good? Did you come good? Did you come good? Now, if anyone in this room of the world finds those two words decadent, Immoral, amoral, asexual. The words to come really make you feel uncomfortable. If you think I'm rank for saying it to you, you probably can't come. Since we acquired the Lenny Bruce papers, we have been contacted by people who would like to contribute to the collection, like Betty Jo Spiropolis, a showgirl who had a love affair with Lenny Bruce. Like a Las Vegas-type showgirl. My name is Betty Jo Spiropolis. We were in Atlantic City. I was working at Club Harlem, 1961. Lenny saw me on stage. When I came off, he was sitting backstage on a chicken coop. We had a Caribbean number where they used real chickens. 
But Lenny was big with uh, sending Western Union telegrams. That's how he pursued me. He would tell me, I'll meet you at the bar. And we would meet at four in the morning, walk on the boardwalk. And that was our love affair. We watched the John Glenn a spaceship taking off from Cocoa Beach. And he autographed one of the pictures. Don't forget that we watched that. I was looking at all my stuff from Lenny's and I wondered what was going to happen to it. I Googled Kitty Bruce just by chance Googling, because I Google a lot. It said that she had donated all of her personal effects to Brandeis University. So I called. I spoke with Sarah Shoemaker. We talked it over, how I would send everything, and I filled out forms. Box 12, Series 3, Writings and Transcripts. I'm Chloe Morse Harding, Reference Archivist, Special Collections, Brandeis University. This is a script for The Rocket Man, 1954, by Lenny Bruce. Fade in. Captain Talray, dressed in a space outfit. Dear semantics, there are words that offend me. Let's see, Governor Farbus, segregation offend me. Uh, nighttime television offends me, some nighttime television. Uh, the shows that exploit homosexuality, narcotics, and prostitution under the guise of helping the societal problem. The there are certainly different views of Lenny Bruce as a martyr to the First Amendment, as the sick comic. He really pushed the envelope of what is possible to say, what it is possible to mock. Are you taken out of the headquarters of Religions Incorporated? His satire included the targeting of the Roman Catholic Church. He sees organized religions as simply another form of show business. Religion, big business. We hear H.A. addressing the tight little group on Madison Avenue. The comic assaults that he made against the Roman Catholic Church were crucial to the extraordinary legal difficulties that he faced, and his drug addiction only magnified the chances of arrest. Box 15 trial transcript material. Lenny Bruce in court, Lenny Bruce being hauled away by the cops, banned from England. Lenny Bruce spent the last part of his life feeling that he was both prosecuted and persecuted for obscenity. The bust. What I got arrested for? <laughs> San Francisco, I got arrested for, uh, what do you think? We can hear that, Daddy. Um, I'm not going to repeat the word because I want to finish the gig here tonight. It's, uh, uh, they said it was vernacular for a favorite homosexual practice, a ten-letter word. Uh, it's really chic. That's two four-letter words in a preposition. I can't... Uh, I wish I could tell you the word. It uh, starts with a C. When you know what the word is. Now, it's weird how they manifested that word as homosexual. Another thing that got him prosecuted was he had a hand microphone in front of him. He was criticizing the Catholic Church. He would wave it up and down in the form of a benediction was prosecuted and cops came in and testified that it was a masturbation gesture. Sometimes an officer would be in the wings waiting for him to say one of these words and handcuff him and take him off stage. That happened in New York, which is when he was arrested the first time. And from then on, it was just downhill. One of the detectives, they said he, he knew Lenny's entire uh, act. He would go before the judge, do the whole act word for word. Sometimes the club owner was arrested with Lenny Bruce because he had allowed such obscenity. In the end, there were not many places he could perform. He was really quite blackballed. The reason I got busted, arrested, I picked on the wrong guard. They picked on the Western guard, the cute guard, the in guard, the Kennedy guard, and that's where I screwed up. 
when he was more strung out, he uh, had left a stash of a book of his called Burn This Book. He'd left the copies with City Lights, and he sent me a telegram. He said, burn those books. (laughs) I think he was about to go on trial again. He didn't want the prosecutor to find these books. Lenny Bruce had gone around to other civil rights lawyers who wouldn't touch him because of the language. My name is Martin Garvis. At that point in time, he had lawyers' fees, including mine. When I first saw Lenny two years before the trial itself, he was warm, open-hearted, bright, kind. When we went through the trial, it was the same person, but a little nuts. I want to do the show for the court. Look, I'm going to sue your ass and put a lien on the file. Dealing with Lenny was very difficult. He was surrounded by acolytes who told him anything that he said was correct. There were drugs around. How much he used, I don't know. We were in Atlantic City. He had two or three rooms in a motel. It was packed with people going through papers. In every corner, someone was going through papers. That's why he was looking for some discrepancies. He was speaking in legal terms. He wanted to know if one policeman said it was a green car and then another policeman would say it was a red car. There was no love involved then. It was only concentrating on beating this case. The hotel room had books all over the place, 1857, 1912. They were from Britain, they were from any English-speaking country. And he pulled out a case, 1857, about a sheep going through a gate. It was a trespass case, a sheep was breaking out, who transgressed, and he honestly believed these cases were relevant to his case. Your Honor, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have the ability to raise my counsel, but I'd like to testify. He insisted that we put him on the stand. He said, you can't reach these judges, the First Amendment stuff. He says, let me talk to them. Let me talk to them. We refused to do it. Uh, He ultimately did it. Okay, now I chucked the attorney, but it's too late. Now I figure what I'll do is I'll go to a federal court. When we had the trial, I mean, Philip Roth was in the audience, Jules Pfeiffer. Philip once said, but for Lenny, he couldn't have written Portnoy's complaint. Lenny broke down so many barriers. We tried the case in New York. There was no question but that we were going to lose it. Ultimately, he was convicted. He won in the Court of Appeals after he was dead. Lenny Bruce died of a drug overdose. The headline was dead at 40. Now that's obscene. This is a quote from Lenny. I am not your martyr. Censorship is unconstitutional according to the First Amendment. I am a soldier fighting for the Constitution. Comedy and the Constitution, the legacy of Lenny Bruce. We had the conference last fall to mark this collection's new home at Brandeis. We had talks on First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, the language of comedy, gender in comedy, humor in the Holocaust, Yiddish humor, political. I will always be the gatekeeper. It's just natural for me to protect the archives. I wanted the generation now to be familiar with Lenny Bruce. They kept trying to shut my father up. Shut him up. Gotta make him quiet. Shut him up. Well, it's 2018 and he's still talking.
The Lenny Bruce Collection was produced by the Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell, mixed by Jim McKee. Special thanks to Kitty Bruce and Christy Hefner, and we thank the Lenny Bruce Collection, Robert D. Farber University Archives and Special Collections, Gold Farb Library, Brandeis University, and archivists Sarah Shoemaker, Sorella Selig, Chloe Morris Harding, Leslie Riker, Professor Stephen Whitfield, and Comedy and Constitution, the legacy of Lenny Bruce Conference. Further thanks to Steve Kreff, Martin Garbus, Betty Jo Spiropolis, Phil Kaufman, Robert Well, Jacob Conrad, Joanna Zorn, WBEZ, and for help with tape syncs, Paul Azir at WVIA, Dan Cox at WCWP, and Delphine Dilly in Paris. Photos, courtesy of Kitty Bruce. You can see those photos at kitchensisters.org. There are some great ones. Special thanks to the National Endowment for the Arts and listener contributions to the Kitchen Sisters Productions. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. We're looking for stories, images, ideas, and recordings for our Keeper of the Day project. Call the Keeper's Hotline at 415-496-9049 or go to our website, kitchensisters.org, and you can tell us all about it. Thanks for listening. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radiotopia.